I'm going to assume he means London, England and not London, Ontario, which is like three yeah. hours from where I live. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could have done this in person. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You mean I could have driven down? <laughs> uh, Hugh, thank you so much for speaking with me. I really do appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. The, the show's a blast. Thank I'm you. glad you liked it, man. You've seen all yeah. 10 episodes? Uh, no, I haven't finished all 10 episodes yet, but I'm really enjoying the ride that I've been on so far. Good. I, just, I want to know what, what not to say, so I don't want to spoil anything. For you. <laughs> well, that's on you. I, <laughs> whatever. You, yeah. Um, I, exactly. I will. Uh, yeah. Like uh, whatever, whatever sorts of things you want to say, you can say. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still fairly early in the journey. I'm about three or four episodes in and um, I'm, I'm really loving it. I'm loving the, I'm loving the ride and, and the atmosphere. It's really well done. Um, Thanks, man. Where where'd the story come from? I know they're based on your your short stories. Yeah, the uh, I wrote a short story called Wool years ago. I had um I had an it was going to be a novel originally, and I was working on other novels at the time. So I decided I'm just going to put this out as a little uh, like novella, little fifty page short story, and put it online. And um, I had a few motivations. Um, uh, I was just uh, really fascinated what. Um, what it was doing to us to get all of our information through screens, you know, to get our news and our um, view of the outside world through uh, uh, 24 hour news, which is normally bad news because that's what we tune into. And um, and that's how a lot of my sci-fi stories start, just with an observation about the world or the human condition. And then you think of some way to tweak it or make it worse and what effect that would have on uh, an interesting cast of characters. Um, so it all started with the wall screen and then the silo is just a way to trap people. Uh, so they only had that one view of the outside world. And in my mind, the people who would start to mistrust that or think the world could be a better place are the people who would be heroes, you know, in, in my book. You know, you, you mentioned about reflecting the world. Forgive me if I, I, if I missed when you said what year you wrote this, but there's obvious connections to the pandemic. Um, it's a, you know, I wrote this, uh, 12 years ago. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's 2010 or 2011. Um, yeah, it was wild going through the pandemic because I've written, you know, I've written other stuff. I've written zombie novels. I've written um, uh, all kinds of uh, different stories, over 20 novels over the years. And living through the pandemic was like being in fiction. Like, I just didn't think I would see something like that in my lifetime. Just everyone wearing masks and um, our fear of each other and so many people passing away. Um, it was uh, it, it was weird to see st stuff that I would usually make up kind of creeping into our everyday world. You know, I this is not, forgive me when I say this. This is not the first sci-fi series or film that I've seen where people have said this to me because there is such a high level of relevance here. And I'm hearing story after story of oh, I I wrote this ten years ago. And that, that amazes me. It's one of the things I love about sci-fi is we take these otherworldly circumstances and then they seem to hit. <laughs> and yeah. it's so bizarre. You know, another thing, like uh, Snowden had not come out yet. Like we didn't know that the CIA yeah. was like tapping communication and a huge part of the story in the book and you'll see later in the TV show is um, that the people in the silo um, are, you know, keeping tabs on everything and keeping data and, and trying to understand what kind of people we are. And now that's something that China is doing to, to, um, you know, determine 
the um, uh, you know how trustworthy each person is for insurance and all kinds of other things. We our credit scores, like all this, yeah. all this stuff is very nefarious, but it's also reality and it's so it is satirical. It's 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 what's made you know 1984 and Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451. All those books are just timeless because these are um, people writing about what it's like to be human. It, it, well, that was what I was going to ask you too. Is like we have this fascination not just with science fiction, but post-apocalyptic worlds, especially the last, I'd say, twenty years at this point. What is it about that environment? Do you think that keeps drawing us back? I have a theory about that because um, I've I've thought about that a lot, and I've gotten that question a lot ever since when when Wool came out. It became an international bestseller, and I was going. Uh, it's in over forty languages. I was touring all over the world. And I would get that question a lot because at the time there was a lot of um, disaster films, post-apocalyptic zombie stuff. And I started thinking about the different um, kind of fads in storytelling. And it, and it hit me that these were all the same story. Um, we're always talk, telling stories. They're survival stories. Um, and it used to be lost in the woods. Um, uh, and when we started sailing, it was lost at sea and deserted island stories, you know, Castaway, um, Robinson Crusoe, and um, Gulliver's Travels, and and those kinds of things. Um, but go back to the Iliad and the Odyssey. These are, you know, a, a person who is away from his family, away from his friends. He doesn't uh, or she don't have their tools that they need for survival. And how do they survive without those human connections and without their technology? And um, probably the biggest literary movement in the 20th century were, were westerns which just consumed america and westerns are the same thing it's uh the edge of society where there's no law and so how do you make the law um things are hard there's um there's the threat of native americans there's the there's wilderness threats and so we we keep telling these stories about okay i'm safe here but what if i go over there and i don't have you all and i don't have my things how would i how would i fare and and about you, you pointed out about twenty years ago. Well, that's about when we all had access to uh, satellite photography, GPS. The world was mapped, and there was no more uh, liminal space between civilization and the wilderness to get lost in. And but that doesn't mean that our drive for these kinds of stories went away. So what did we start doing? We started telling like deserted and on Mars and lost in space and lost in time we had to get away from civilization and so all a disaster film is and all a post-apocalyptic story is and all zombie films are is a way of getting rid of civilization since we've now covered the earth in it we can't just go to another place and get it we have to go to a different type of place or a different type of time uh, and so it seems like a fad but i think it's just a solution to a really deep, deep problem uh, uh, that we had with our storytelling, where we no longer had a wilderness to write about. Very long-winded answer, but you can tell I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's phenomenal. In fact, it almost just sounds like you're saying we're consistently lost. Totally. Um, I think stories are a survival tool, and I think we're trying to teach each other, um, you know, like, look, I was in the woods and there was a bear in there. And if you haven't noticed, like Thog is missing. And I think Thog, something happened to Thog. Like these are the kinds of stories that we want to tune into. And and it goes to Silo and why um, we're drawn to that bad news because our, our, our ears perk up. Like this is information that's important for my survival. 
the people who had that that kind of year had more children and here we all are the people are like bear in the woods i'll go see like we, we those people are gone so we're we're descended from you know many many generations of people who um were curious about the dangers of the world and now we're wondering why we keep telling stories about the dangers of the world like this is what this is how we got here well it, you know it's it's interesting you say that because i mean the villains in this show shall we say um tap into something that we see in in other villains based on what you're talking about with this this history of storytelling it's it's control yeah control of the story control of the narrative so if if we're uh, just based on what you're saying here would you suggest that 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 may be the greatest fear because if we push beyond our boundaries and we're continuing to learn things who owns the story and who owns the truth becomes a, a powerful weapon. The most powerful. And that's why uh, I, I don't want to spoil like who's really uh, in charge here. But every every time a layer gets peeled back, it's not who you thought it was. Hmm. But it's more of exactly what you're talking about. Um, and if we get to tell the whole story over several seasons, you'll see that 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 you've nailed it. It's this, the control of the truth and the story uh those are the most powerful people I, I think what's what's interesting about this uh story and the books and, and the tv show is you should have a debate between people and, and even within yourself about whether or not the bad guys are really bad or if they're just they don't see any other way to keep everyone safe and i think it's i think we need to have more dialogue between political ideologies who all want the same thing but these extremes think that the other ways way of doing things is either dehumanizing or destructive. And, uh, you know, I think when we get down to it, we, we all want the same stuff. We just uh, are fearful of everyone else's tactics getting us there. And, and that, that difference leads to just a whole lot of like social strife and, and discomfort. That's so interesting. So if I'm hearing you right, the greater issue is an ideology, it's methodology? Is I think so. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, because I, well, ideology leads to methodology. So I think right. you can have, I think you can have both. But there's, um, in the book, it, uh, there's a mention of uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau and, and Thomas Hobbes. These are the, the kind of the best philosophers to stand for two very different extremes. Uh, you know, one thinks you need, need a Leviathan, a very powerful um, oversight to keep people in, in line. And the other things, if you just let people do whatever their heart desires, everything will be fine. Um, uh, one is obviously wrong. And the other is, is obviously like a totalitarian discomfort. And so the reality has to be somewhere in the middle. And, and I think once we all agree that we're some blend of these two, then we can start reaching some kind of compromise. We don't have to be as hardline as we pretend to be. I love that. That was fascinating. That was really interesting. Um, you know, just just talking about. Uh, well, actually, I'll ask this now. So, with that having been said, what do you think hope looks like in a world of silo? That's the. I think that's the. That may be the best question I've ever had uh, in twelve years of, of talking about this story. Um, I think hope looks like where Juliet ends up in this story. Um, and she, I love stories where the characters have a journey and they don't, they don't stay the same throughout the story. 
Um, it's easy to write stories where you have this character, you idealize them and you just let them stay this perfect self and the plot happens to them. But that's not how this story uh, uh, unfolds. There's a real um, amazing human character in Juliet and her change over the course of the story changes how she uh, tackles problems and treats people. And she, she starts to become a better person with better solutions. In, and in the beginning, she doesn't want to deal with anybody. She thinks machines can be fixed, but people are permanently broken. So she doesn't want to, to have anything to do with them. And I think her relationship with George um, starts to um, get to the core of her, you know, past her childhood traumas and get into that part of the things. Love is possible. Um, humanity's worth it. Uh, it's, 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 there's the danger of heartache and the danger of disappointment, but um, we have to give it a shot. And I think that's the start for her of, of getting to uh, the, the mystery behind the silo. Um, so for me, Hope looks like, uh, like a romantic. It's someone who has had their hearts broken many times, but every time they're willing to believe in the best because uh, if you're right, that's, that's all it takes to have all that heartache worth it. You know, that's kind of where I am personally in my life, you know, like just finding, finding love late in life or later in life. Um, it's so much better if you can maintain that romantic naivete that you brought into your first relationship, bring it to every single one and every friendship and every art project. Um, you know, don't ever let cynicism turn you into a Bernard or a Sims, uh, as, as well-meaning as they are, they've, they've lost the, the romantic core of themselves, which George embodies to me perfectly you know i i love that and uh forgive me i think george is david's character yes uh, no uh well i think holston has a lot of that too there's a lot of romanticism in the pilot george is juliet's boyfriend yes you sorry see in yes the second episode no yes. and it's a lot of characters and they're and they're 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 meeting their end but i think no you make bring a good point david uh who plays holston has that with this exact same um, relationship with Allison, his wife, like he's like you follow the rules. That's it. And and I think his relationship, and that was the whole story originally. The Juliet story got added on as the novel took off. But you know, you're making me realize that really Juliet's story is just a retelling of Holston's story, in a lot of ways. Well, you know, it 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 felt like that in the part in the portion of the story that I've seen so far. And one of the things I love about Silo is that it's it both grabs you and and feels slow burn like there's definitely i you know when it began i admit in the first few minutes of it i'm like okay so this is going to play out long but it, it happens so quickly and then batons are passed and, and new stories unravel and and but there are these links between the characters between holston and juliet and um it, it's it's really really riveting it's really been fascinating and a fun ride as well Thanks, Steve. Um, appreciate that. Absolutely. What, what do you What do you hope people take away from the series? Um, you know, I whenever I sign a copy of Wool, I've been doing this for a long time. The first dedication when I self published it um, was uh, uh, for those who dare to hope, because um, that to me was the theme. Like I think hope is the is courageous, and uh, uh, takes kind of a bit of a a, a flight, you know, of, of a leap of faith. And um, uh, so I always wrote Dare to Hope in there. And 
that's what I hope people take away from this, that um, we start to see the world uh, uh, as it is and not as our screens tell, it, tell us it is, and to, to go out and live in it and witness it for ourselves and to have a belief in a, in a better future. I write a dystopian story, but it's, it's one full of um, many happy endings. And um, that's, that's the way that I think life can work for us where we have a lot of hardship, but it's, it's damn worth it. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, <laughs> honestly. Hugh, thank you so much. This has been incredible. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you. I wish Thanks, you the Steve. best. I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for the great questions. You really yeah, helped me uh, get to new places. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot. I have a great time.